right, well, well, good morning, Hosanna. I should say good morning, Shakopee, huh? Um, my name's Luke Allison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Hosanna, and I haven't been out to Shakopee in a while, so there's always new faces. Um, raise your hand if I've ever interacted with you in any meaningful or maybe not meaningful way ever. Cool. A lot of you, good, and then a lot of you I don't know. So on the count of three, and I like to do this just because it's fun, on the count of three, if you could just yell your first name out to me, and then I'll know you on a first name basis. So one, two, three... Great, I'll remember every single one of those. <laughs> Never forget a face, though. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite uh, the ushers forward for this morning's offering. And as always, thank you for being a very generous church who partners with us in our vision, which is multiplying the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus in the South Metro Church and with the South Metro Church. Uh, thank you for being people who partner with us in that. So we've been in this series called Anchored, talking about these four links that connect us to God, uh, God as the anchor in a world, in a life that can sometimes seem very, very stormy. And so we've been using this, Im this image, this illustration of an anchor and of links. And the first week, uh, Pastor Ryan talked about the link of identity. You know, because if we don't know who we are, then anybody can name us. And so God comes and, and he tells us who we are. He says, you are my child. You know, you are unique. You mean something. You matter. Uh, the second link is love, and actually I got to talk about love at Lakeville, and I think it was on the video screen here a couple weeks back, and I got to talk about love, about uh, how the things that happen to us in our life uh, can't shake the fact that God loves us, and circumstances don't detract from that. And so there's this reality there, because the problem is, you know, if we don't know that we're loved, then any old love we meet will, will do. You know, we see that all the time, people settling for love that's less than beautiful, that's less than good, and, and God loves us with this perfect, unchanging, beautiful, transformative love. The third one uh, that Pastor Ryan talked about last week is the, the link of delight. You know, that God doesn't just love you, he actually likes you, too. You know, uh, turn to the person next to you and say, I don't just love you, I like you, too. Man, that was way too unenthusiastic. We'll have to do that at the end. We need, where's the prayer team? We got to get them up here. Uh, just kidding, guys, just kidding. Uh, the last link we're going to talk about, the last link we're going to talk about is this link called place. And this one can be a little confusing, so I want to try to unpack what that means uh, when it comes to this last link, because I really think this last link has a lot to do with kind of what we're going to be doing in the world. If these first three have a lot to do with our relationship to God and, and kind of our relationship to ourself, then this last link of place, knowing our place, has a lot to do with our relationship to other people, kind of the horizontal aspect, you know, what we're doing in this world. Um, a couple weeks back, my, my wife and I actually got a chance to go on sort of a belated honeymoon to Scotland. And it was a really interesting experience. You know, you go to the UK, a lot of old stuff there. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do that we got a chance to do was take the ferry off the north mainland of Scotland up to the Orkney Islands. You know, there's the Orkneys and the Shetlands. And the Orkney Islands are these amazing little tiny islands full of like 5,000-year-old Stone Age ruins that you can still see. Um, just really, really cool place. Not a tropical location by any means, but really awesome, beautiful place. We drove around every inch of these islands in this little rental uh, Renault, you know, little hatchback. And everything went great. We had it all figured out. We were, you know, going to basically, like, get back. And uh, the next morning at 5 a.m., we were going to catch a ferry. So we're going to take that rental to the place where the ferry was and drop it off. And then we're going to jump on that ferry, take the two-hour ride back, and get on a train and take a five, six, uh, I think like seven-hour ride back to Edinburgh and, like, and then eventually catch our plane home. It was all working out perfectly. 
So that last night, I'm feeling pretty satisfied as I, as I drive into the gas station, and I hadn't actually pumped gas yet, and so I'm thinking like, okay, this is not going to be a whole lot different than, you know, for the most part, the UK has a lot of things that are really similar, and so I pull into this gas station, and I very confidently, you know, do my credit card, and, and I uh, take the handle and put it inside my gas tank, and I'm filling it up, and as I'm standing there, something starts to happen in my brain. Maybe you've had this feeling before. Um, it's like a series of little movie shots, kind of like, dun, you know, dun, as I'm looking around, and I start to notice Around me, there's a diesel pump, and a diesel pump, and a diesel pump, and a di there's like 10 diesel, like everyone has a diesel pump, and you know, in the United States, you usually see one or two diesel pumps at a gas station, you know, and hmm. I take my hand off the pump and stop, and it's like dun, dun, dun in my brain. As I look to the right, and I see that I've been feeling unleaded, as you do, you know, in the United States a lot of the time, um, I put 10 gallons of unleaded gas in. Then my eyes slide down to the inside of the gas cap, and I see this huge, huge, uh, in big black letters and this big sign that says diesel only on my car. Now, I don't know a lot about cars. Raise your hand if you're sort of a car person that knows about, okay, I know enough to know that's not good, though. Because um, if you start it, the fuel's mixed together, and then the fuel injectors get all destroyed or corroded, basically, by the two uh, the impurities of one fuel going into the other. It wrecks the whole system. So here's what happens. My brain, I, I realize this, and my brain starts kind of swirling. You know, it goes into that spiral of like, what am I going to do? What's happening? How are we going to get out of this? Tomorrow we have to be, you know, I, I'm looking into the future, and I get back in, and I sit down in the car right by my wife, and I just sit there, and she's like, what? You know, just absolute silence as I stare, and I go, I think I did something really bad. <laughs> um, I get that hot feeling kind of creeping up into my neck, kind of feel like I'm going to throw up a little bit. I'm almost paralyzed. And I'm working through into my brain, trying to figure out what the best possible course of action. And how many of you know that a healthy marriage includes this aspect, that when one person's completely shut down, the other one can step in and help, you know, and kind of take over, right? Usually the woman steps in and helps, you know, takes over. Um, so my wife leaps into action and takes care of everything. And about 400 pounds, which is about $450, $460 later, uh, we're able to get back to the mainland. Uh, the, the, the car's not completely destroyed, just a little destroyed. Had to have some parts repaired. Um, we catch our train all the way back to Edinburgh the next day. You know, we made it. But it could have been disastrous. You know, there's a moment there where it's like, we're stuck. I can't start the car. I don't know if there's even a tow truck available on this little island. You know, we're two hours off the mainland. Uh, all these things are happening. And it's all because, on some level, I did not understand my place in Orkney. You know, as an American, driving in the Orkney Islands, um, I needed to be aware of where I was, and I wasn't. You know, I needed to be aware of what I was doing, and I wasn't. I needed to be aware of where I was going, how things were done, and I wasn't. I missed it. And I thought about this a lot since because, you know, I'm a pastor of spiritual formation, so I try to keep my eye and my ear kind of tuned to what God is doing in my life and the lives of others and help other people see that as well. And one of the things I've realized is when we have these things happen to us, there's often something happening behind the scenes there that God is doing. And I try to pay attention to that. And here's what I realized as I've reflected back on that episode is that if we don't know our place, we don't know who we are, where we're going, why we're here, then we're going to be stuck. You know, we're going to be going zero miles per hour sitting in the gas station wondering, what do we do now? Um, it's something I've seen a lot as a pastor with people, as I meet with people. 
is that the first couple links oftentimes come in a flash for people. You know, like identity. People understand their identity and suddenly their whole life changes, their perspective shifts. People understand that they're loved and suddenly they start uh, seeing God in a whole new way. People understand that God delights in them and then they start delighting in, other, in their children and they start feeling that sense of delight and feeling a different way. But what can often happen is that these three that are kind of associated with how we relate to God... Those can come and we can still be a little bit frozen in terms of what it is we're supposed to do then in the world with that fact. Because we don't know our place. And I've seen this. Uh, as children of God living on the planet Earth, you know, why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? Is it all just about knowing that we're loved? That's a big part. But is there something we're supposed to be doing as well in the world around us? Dave Paddy is the fellow who wrote the book uh, called Father God that we're kind of based this series on. I encourage you to pick that up if you, that we actually have him in the bookstore at Hosanna in Lakeville. And uh, if that's something that you guys are interested, I believe we actually have copies out here, I think as well. I might be totally wrong about that. Don't blame me if I'm wrong. I just let you know that I didn't, wasn't sure. So, uh, but I know for a fact it's also available online. So this is the book, Father God by Dave Paddy. And one of the things Dave Paddy says in that book about place is it has a lot to do with the sense of calling. You know, carrying out the purpose for which we were put on the earth. You know, that's the idea of place. You know, we know we're loved, but now what? Uh, so what I want to do is ask you one question. You know, how do we know what our place is? And do you know your place? And how do we know this? So what I want to do is look at this text that we've been looking at, and this is the last week we'll look at it for a while, but this text that talks about Jesus' baptism. And what I'd love to do is kind of, because we've been doing this, I'd love to have you actually stand for the reading of the text, if you don't mind. So go ahead and stand up if you're able. And it's Matthew 3, 13 to 17. You're going to read back to verse 13 just a little bit, and I'm going to read it. And then when I'm done, uh, you're going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Or I'm going to say, sorry, this is the word of the Lord. You're going to say... Thanks be to God, and then go ahead and have a seat, and then that'll be uh, all of that. But basically what we're doing here is we're kind of uniting with everybody right now in the world, a, a huge chunk at least of Christians who do this type of thing. And so we're doing this at the same time, the same place as a bunch of other people all over the world. So Matthew three thirteen to 17 says this, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This is the word of the Lord. Right, you may be seated. This takes place in the Jordan River. I'm going to throw that first picture up there of the Jordan. Uh, this is a very kind of ideal spot for the Jordan. It looks really beautiful. When I was actually at the Jordan River two years ago in the springtime, and it did not look like that. It was, you know, very muddy and not very mighty, kind of a little trickly stream full of mud. Uh, but this is the Jordan River. And what we see here is this story about John, uh, John the baptizer, not John the Baptist. It's kind of confusing when sometimes it says John the Baptist, and it's like, well, was someone else a Presbyterian or a Methodist, you know? But anyway, sorry, that's a church joke, I guess. Um, 
John the baptizer, the one who baptizes people. And John's out there in the wilderness, in the desert, and he's baptizing people, and they're coming in droves because something is pricking their hearts, you know? They're being drawn to this thing. And it says earlier that John is preaching this message of repentance, you know, turn back to God, away from the places you've gone and the things you've done. Turn to God. He's doing something. Wash yourselves in the water and then purify your hearts, too, is what John is saying. And then his cousin, you know, John and Jesus are cousins. It's something we can easily forget. His cousin comes, Jesus, you know, the one who doesn't need to repent of anything, right? He comes, and John's confused because Jesus is like, I need to be baptized. And John's thinking, like, I see the tax collector who's been cheating people out of their money. I know he needs to be baptized. You know. I see the Roman soldier over here who's been, you know, treating people really badly. I know he needs to be baptized, but I, this isn't the way it should be. You should be baptizing me. I can't do that. It, it wouldn't be my place. We see John struggle with his place here. You know. Where do I stand in relation to you? What am I doing? What, what is the point of this? And I don't know about you. Um, I struggled a lot with a sense of my place as well growing up, uh, kind of in terms of my family and my, uh, my brother particularly. How many of you are firstborns here? Raise your hand. All right. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to be very friendly towards you, but it, part of my heart there is sort of, I got some trauma, so I'm, we're still working it out. Um, is anybody the baby of the family? Excellent. My people. Thank you, my people. Um, anybody the middle, in the middle? Or we have sozo appointments, uh, which is an inner healing form of prayer to deal with all of the different ways. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, I'm sort of a middle and a baby because there's only two of us, you know, so I guess you could say that about him too, but... Um, I learned rather quickly, having a brother who was ridiculously successful, uh, that it's hard to know kind of your sense of place when a bunch of people in your life are constantly pigeonholing you based on who he is. Maybe some of you know this feeling. My brother is actually a real live rocket scientist. You know, so at parties, he can say, it is rocket science. You know. Some of you got that. <laughs> um, from a really early age, I learned pretty quickly um, that... A lot of people would see me and my place and where I fit and what I was doing in relation to him. Because he was somebody who from a very early age seemed to know his place. It's interesting, some people are like this. My brother from a very early age said, I want to build airplanes or rockets, you know. And that's, the rest of his life was based around doing that. You know, he did it. From early age, I was like, I like to play with bugs, <laughs> you know. I'm not doing that now. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I remember one teacher, there was this big realization my senior year, you know, he said to me, I just realized something, you know, this year, you know, you're, you're not Eric, that's my brother's name, you're Luke. And I was like, that is not a big realization to me, but thank you for letting me know, I guess. You know. But the problem is I made a lot of decisions in my early adulthood, kind of based around the idea of trying to differentiate myself from my brother, you know, to try to find my place, what I'm supposed to do, who I am, all that stuff. And so, you know, at one point, when I got right out of high school, I joined the army and was in there for five years, and that was sort of, you know, not out of any sort of noble heroic duty or anything, but just to kind of, like, do something that was considered honorable in the eyes of people because my brother was so successful. Um, and then I wound up, you know, wanting to play music and be in bands because I thought that might be something, and so I did that for a while and got a chance to tour around a little bit. And I did a bunch of things, but all of them were sort of based more on trying to, like, show who I wasn't more than who I was. Maybe you can relate to that. 
And I had this thought that said, if I can just go there, if I could just get to that place, if I can just do that, if I can just make this much, if I can, you know, create this or accomplish this, then I will know my place. Then everything will fall into place for me. It will become more clear. You know, it's interesting. Uh, reflecting back this past week on what we saw, you know, two very tragic deaths of two people, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, um, both of whom, if you were to look from the outside, and for all intents and purposes, they were sort of on top of the world, right? Um, they had interesting, meaningful lives, purposeful lives, if you looked at them from the outside. And um, I read something that Anthony Bourdain's friend said about him just yesterday. He said he was so focused on his work, the good work that he was doing, you know, advocating for poor people, advocating for indigenous people, helping people kind of understand their place. He was so focused on his work that he didn't have any time left to take care of himself. We know this happens. That's something that we see, and, and, and I, I think probably in this room there's some that can relate to that, that we throw ourselves into what we do for work with everything we have because we feel like this gives us a place and everything else kind of falls by the wayside, you know, this, this whole area, the soul, the heart. We throw ourselves into doing, doing, doing. We throw ourselves, you know, into our children's lives. That's something that happens quite a bit, uh, kind of unavoidably in some cases. We make sure they have everything. You know, we say we want them to have the life that we never got a chance to have. Um, somewhere in the, in the middle of that, there's this hope that everything will eventually start to make sense and fall into place. You know, we'll figure out our, pla our place, what we're doing once, you know, their graduation comes, right? And that's that time of year. And how many of you know that that doesn't necessarily mean that we understand our place because then there's another thing after that and another thing after that. I think for some of us, it has to do with, you know, if I can get, just get this amount of money in my bank account, then I'll know my place. You know, been working for a long time towards that. And then we see people who have all that stuff, and yet somewhere inside of them, something is still missing. We see this over and over and over again. So I searched and I searched and I searched for my place, and eventually, as fate would have it, as God would have it, <laughs> I wound up working for a church. But guess what? I don't know if you do this or not, but you can work for a church and be doing, like, professional Christian stuff, you know, um, and still have no idea what your place is. That was me. You know, why you're here. And on some level, I think I allowed that to sort of carry me into a relationship where I then got married, probably when I wasn't completely ready to get married. And as a result of that, over the period of five years, things completely disintegrated. And, and that sense of place that was under me, like I'm married, I have this relationship, that completely fell apart and I experienced a divorce. You know, all this stuff sort of can happen to us then, and we think that this is going to be the thing. That sense of place is just always out of our reach. And here's what I think. I think something in here has to shift around and get reoriented before anything out there is going to make sense. I really believe that. That's one of the things I've come to believe more and more. And in the text we see, John's concerned about his place. He says to Jesus, it's not my place to baptize you. But Jesus says we need to do it to carry out everything that God requires of us. Now, it's kind of a bad translation there from the NLT, unfortunately. They try to simplify things. Sometimes it simplifies to the point where it doesn't make any sense. So the thing there in the original Greek that's being said, and some of you might have a translation that says this, 
He says, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness. That's a very kind of weird word, maybe, if you didn't grow up in church. Kind of a big churchy word. But it's a super important word, because here's what it means. Righteousness means everything that God kind of looks at the world and says, this is what I want human beings to be and to do. This is how I want them to live in the world. This is their place in the world, is to carry forth this sense of righteousness out to everybody that they meet. You know, to every structure that they walk into. And Jesus says, I have to get baptized and do this because God's doing something here. This is the beginning of how God begins to fulfill, to bring into being all righteousness. It's a big concept. Jesus is doing something here. You know, remember, he's the spotless one. He doesn't need to repent of anything. You know, there's nothing to say sorry for when you're spotless, sinless. So what is he doing? I've wrestled with this a lot. I've read a lot about it. I think here's what he's doing. I think he's leading the way. He's saying in this moment, God is doing something in the world. And all of us get to be a part of it. Every single one of you gets a chance right now to say yes to what he is doing in the world. And the way to do that is you have to walk into these waters. Into these waters that represent cleansing and wholeness and fulfillment and, and repentance and forgiveness and healing from shame and all of these things. You have to step into these waters. Follow me. You know, Jesus is always going ahead of us saying, I'm doing it. Follow me. And even in this, he represents to us, this is what you need to do. I'm stepping into it. Think of it like this. If what God is doing in the world is like a flowing river, a flow that's moving and, and going and spreading and bringing life everywhere it lands, everywhere it penetrates, Jesus is saying, I'm going to step into it. Now you, follow me. Let's step into it together. And the second he does it, we see in the story, the second he does it, it says the heavens are opened. This amazing picture. The Gospel of Mark says the heavens are torn open, like ripped like a curtain. And suddenly everything that God is doing in the world comes pouring in through Jesus. And, and only in that moment then do we see the Holy Spirit come and descend on Jesus. And then you hear the voice from heaven say the things that we've been talking about. You know, you're my son, I love you, I delight in you. And from that point forward, Jesus knows his place. And I think he knew it before, but I think it becomes more clear here as the Holy Spirit, the empowering presence of God, fills him. And everywhere he goes, then he calls people and says, I know your place. I know your place. Come follow me, I'll show you. I'll show you your place. I know my place. Come follow me, I'll show you your place. I'll show you why you're here. I'll help you to, you know, get past zero miles, miles per hour. <laughs> a couple weeks back, I talked about how the Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted. And we see him over and over and over again being led by the Spirit to do the things that he's called to do. But the thing we see him doing every single time is going, and when he goes, he runs into a person. And that person usually is somebody who has been excluded and has been told you don't have a place 
And nearly every instance through healing, through casting out demons, you know, you see this. It's kind of a crazy thing, but casting out demons through uh, including people who have been excluded, giving them a place at the table. Jesus says over and over and over again, here's your place. It's with me. Follow me. Come do what I'm doing in the world. You know, I'll heal you. I'll give you a sense of identity. I'll give you a sense of, of, you know, love, a deep, deep experience of God's delight in you. But then, but then after that, take a step. Follow me. And then you'll start to see why you're here. You'll be healed. You'll be whole. And then you'll be able to reach out to other people and bring that same thing. And when people did that, when they stepped forward to follow him, they experienced something kind of crazy. And when I stepped forward, finally, after, you know, going through all the stuff that sort of made me sense like I didn't have a place, when I stepped forward to follow him, I experienced something kind of crazy. And, and here's what it is. Is that when we take that step and we start following him, every place we go then is our place. Every step you take, you're right in the place you were meant to be. The image I had in my head, and this is kind of a funny one. I hope this is from the Holy Spirit, but we'll see in a minute. Um, remember the Billy, it, this is going to sound weird. Remember the Billy Jean video, Michael Jackson? You, raise your hand if you've seen it before. I'm not, you know, baptizing the song or whatever. For those of you that are, oh, what, Michael Jackson, you know. Um, but here's the video. The video, he's walking on these white squares, and what happens every time he steps on one of the squares? It lights up, right? That's the image I had. It's like every step you take, there's the Spirit, there's the presence of God. Every place you go, you know, I'm going to go into a place here, I don't know if I fit there, I don't know if I belong. Well, I belong because God's with me, because he's leading me, because he called me, because I know who I am. Uh, back in the fall, in September, I got married. I told you I went on a late honeymoon, but I got, wound up getting remarried to somebody who I'd met a long, long time ago. And through strange circumstances, God brought us together. And 15 years later, you know, we wound up getting married. And uh, when we were coming back from our wedding, our honeymoon, or our wedding was in El Paso. That's where she's from. And so we were flying back, and in the airport, I, uh, I saw this woman who was kind of standing off to the side and was acting a little strange. You know, she was kind of crying, and she looked very um, not well, you know, let's say that. And um, I sat there, and I thought to myself, you know, we only have about a half an hour before we have to fly out, and I don't really want to engage with someone right now because I get a sense this is going to be kind of heavy, you know? But there is this sense inside of me, like, you need to reach out to this person, and you just got that sense. And I've come to trust that over time as I follow him and as, as I experience the ground, you know, lighting up under my feet that, like, if he's leading me to something, I should probably do what he says. And so I took that step forward, and I, um, I reached out to her, and I said, ma'am, uh, are you okay? You know, and she started talking to me, and she started to share her story with me, and I, as she shared, she shared a lot of heavy stuff. Um, and one of the things she shared was that she uh, is somebody who has struggled pretty, pretty intensely with an eating disorder. And as a result of that, her family and kids have essentially pushed her to the side and kind of abandoned her. And she doesn't feel like she has a place even in her own family anymore. And so as a result of um, going through all of the things that she's gone through, she uh, has, has had this sense of just like having no foundation anymore. You know, no place. 
Now, in a half an hour's time, there's not much you can do with a person that you'll likely never see again, you know. They got this very strong sense, you know, here's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to uh, say some things to her. And so as I was speaking to her, I began to think and begin to kind of get a sense that God was leading me to say. And, and it's funny, we hadn't even been talking about this series, of course. This was about a year ago. But here's basically what I started to do is I started to speak identity into her. You know, you're a child of God. And it turns out she was a believer, but she hasn't, she's at zero, you know. She knows those things in her head, but nothing's ever really kind of gotten into her life at all. And so I begin to say, you're a child of God. You know how deeply loved you are. You know how much God loves you and how much his love is, you know, can transform you if you just reach out and accept it. And she started to say, yeah, I think I know that. And then I started to say, you know how much God delights in you, you know, you, even if your kids don't feel that way, you know, God feels that way. She kept talking about how her kids don't love me. They don't like me. So I spoke those things into her life, but I didn't stop there because there's something else here. And I said to her, and here's why right now I believe, here's why I think you have to live. Because the whole time we were talking, she had discussed how she didn't want to live anymore. You know, the doctors had told her if she keeps on this path, she might not be alive for another, another five years. And I said, here's why you have to live. Because when God brings you out of this, through this, and you begin to experience healing and wholeness, when God brings you through this, you are now going to be a conduit for other people to experience the exact same things that I just said to you. And as soon as I said that to her, she started weeping. And she said, do you think he would do that? I said, yes, I know he would do that. Then I got to share a little bit of my story and what I've walked through and how he's done it for me. Now, I don't know what happened to her. We keep in touch by text sometimes. She lives in Pennsylvania. But I just got the sense that out of my, my interaction with her, like this is what God has called every single one of us to do. This is our place. That everywhere we go, we would bring that healing, empowering presence with us. And as Jesus leads us, that we would follow into bringing people into this knowledge of identity, love, delight. And then this is why you're here. But if we don't know why we're here, we'll miss those opportunities left and right. I think those opportunities are around us every single day. I think our place, you know, who we are, why we're here, means that everywhere we go, on some level, God is saying, this person over there, here's an opportunity here. Are you open? Are you paying attention? You know, two days ago, I was driving by this, uh, this Target, and I, I had to turn around and go back and get something in the Target that I had missed the first time I had gone through. And, and so I went really quickly, and I was just rushing out. And as I rushed out, there was a person standing by the exit who hadn't been there before. And he was with his whole family, like three little kids and his wife. And he had a sign that said, we need 30 bucks to get home. Can you help us? You know, at first I had that sense of suspicion that you get. But the problem is I've been studying this stuff about place, you know. And so when you see an opportunity right in front of you like that, you can't be like, well, he might not use the money for what I want him to, you know. And there's something inside of me that just said, I have to reach out to this person. That's my place. And so I did the same thing. I, I talked with him for a little while. I, I gave him some money, the money that they needed. He was incredibly grateful. But then I also told him, you know, I just said to him, like, asked him if he believed in God. And he said, I believe in God. And I've been praying and my family's been praying and things have been so hard. So I had a chance to speak into him as well. So I want to say this over and over and over again, that if you are connected in with what God is doing in the world, if you have that relationship with him, if you've said yes to what he's doing, then anywhere you go is your place. And it doesn't matter where your job is. It doesn't matter, you know, what your schooling is. 
Your place is always to walk with him in reaching out to those people who are on the outside and, and speaking to them, you know, here is your place. That's when we move from purely me, God, me, God, to everybody. That horizontal focus. There's this massive structure in the first century, if you want to throw the picture up there, called the temple. And maybe you've, um, maybe you've heard of this before, or maybe you've read about this before, but it was this huge place, you know, this place that it was said that God dwelled. And uh, inside of that, in that little kind of like towery place on the inside, was this place called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was said to be like the place where God's presence you know, was focused, where God was, you know, and only certain people could go in there at certain times. And separating the Holy of Holies from everything else was this massive curtain. If you want to throw that next picture up there, you know, that's an artist's rendition, but this huge, thick curtain saying, you can't go in here. It's not your place. And we know that when Jesus goes to the cross, you know, his place, his sense of place brings him all the way to Calvary, and he has his place taken away so that you and I will forever have a place. When Jesus goes there, it says that the curtain is torn from top to bottom. This curtain has a rip in it from top to bottom. It's torn, just like the heavens are torn open at Jesus' baptism. And now that presence of God that people thought was there, like it's not your place, now that presence of God has been released into the world, and Jesus says, it's all yours through what I've done. Your place is with me. Your place is with my heart. Nothing's holding you back anymore. And I say that um, to remind you today that maybe this is all sort of sounding like a foreign language right now when I'm up here speaking about this sense of place. But Jesus says there's nothing holding you back. This can all be yours. This can be the life that you lead as well. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, the sense that I'm with you. The sense that this is my place and this is my place. And maybe you've been a believer for years, somebody who has always sort of believed. Um, but maybe you're stuck at zero because you don't really know what to do with that. And I'd encourage you, we have prayer ministers here afterwards, maybe go and pray with one of them and see what God would say to you. See what God would do in your heart. The first century church, after everything is said and done, had one place where they would gather around and they would celebrate the fact that God had given them a place. And that's the table, if you want to throw the picture up there. The table is the constant reminder. As they would gather and they would share a meal together, the table was a constant reminder that all of us, all of us have a place. Every person has a place. And they would gather around this table and they would remember what Jesus had done and they would drink, you know, the wine and they would eat the bread and they would be reminded, you know, this is who we are. This is how much God loves us. This is how much he delights in us. And now this is our place to go, to go and to bring that to others. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is celebrate together what God has done in Christ Jesus in order to give us a place. So what I want to do is pray, and then uh, we're going to move into communion. 
But I encourage you, if any of this has stirred something in you, to go and talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who can help you kind of process it or pray more and more. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we have a place. And that place is with you, no matter where we go. And that our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears can be open to the things that you're doing, the people that you're bringing into our lives. So I ask right now, Father... That through this act of communion, that we would have a strong sense that this is our place. And wherever we go, Father, out of this, that we would have a strong sense that you're with us and that that's our place too. Fill us with that sense of your presence in our lives to know what it is you're doing, why we're here, where we're going. In Jesus' name, amen.